very beginning of Love Noise, again, speaking of space, the very first Love Noise event, we had, at the time, hotel ballrooms were a place that people produced events, especially uh, black events. We had a hotel ballroom reserved for this Labor Day event. It was, I'm not going to say the name of the hotel, but it was near Vanderbilt. And when the head manager realized that it was a black event, basically they said, you can't do it here. From the top. Yo, yo, this is too much. Slow down. Peace, God. Peace. From Music City, Nashville to the world. This is not a podcast. This is not a conversation about art. This is an attempt to wake you up. And now that I've got your attention, don't listen to the words. Listen to the silence between the words. You are now entering the Museum Museum of of Presence. Presence. Today, we are honored to have with us Eric Holt, the founder of Love Noise, a company that has brought black music back to Nashville. As an expert in branding, marketing, and urban music, Eric has made a name for himself in the music industry. He's the CEO of the Love Noise Group, a nationally recognized lifestyle marketing and consulting company, and is also a full-time professor at Belmont University's Curb College of Entertainment and Music and Business. In this session, we will explore how Eric's love for music intersects with his passion for community building. We'll get into how music can be used as a tool for social change and how can we create more inclusive spaces for diverse voices in the music industry. How can we use the practice of mindfulness to enhance our experience of music? So, Without further ado, Eric Holt, okay? You made it, is it 24 years? 20 years. I've been in the entertainment industry for about, you're right, about 24 years. Okay. okay. Love Noise as an entity, a business entity and collective, 20 years. We celebrate that this September. You've been in this thing for a minute. A minute. We're talking about 20 years in this business, and I want to know before we go anywhere, how you made it. And that's really my focus today. It is the how, the things that kept you going. You made it through recessions. You made it through pandemics, mm. right? Yeah. You, you, were you, did you make it through a flood? Wasn't there a oh, the yeah, flood? Oh, yeah, You made it through the flood. Yeah, definitely. Right? And so how did your internal work support the work that you've been doing here in Nashville? So, you know, we, we talk about the internal work as an individual putting me in the mind space and the, I guess, emotional space to be able to push forward through diversity or adversity. You mentioned some of the things that definitely affected our business, like the great flood in Nashville, the recessions, all those things affected our business a great deal, as well as the pandemic. And, you know, something that me and my business partners have done from the very beginning, our focus has never been about what traditionally businesses have been focused on which is money. That was never our focus. Our focus was always about how can we assist the creative community have a platform to express themselves. And when you get frustrated, or when I got frustrated, I'd always center back to the why. Why am I doing this? What's the purpose? And that simple task, recentering, is what has kept us going 
through the ups and the downs because the great times were really, really great. The downtimes were really, really low as a business and even asking ourselves the why, but we always been able, we've always been able to recenter and, and, and contribute. I'm curious on where does this come from? Where does it, where is the etymology to have this very different perspective? You know, I saw that, were you, did you train to be a lawyer? Yes, yes. At, I went to law school. I have a law degree from Vanderbilt University. Vanderbilt? <laughs> yeah. And where'd you go to undergrad? I went to Howard University, HU. <laughs> <laughs> there's an HU's yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah, there's an HU out there. I know there. what it yeah. is, okay. Yeah, Howard, and I studied communications and philosophy okay. in college. And before I went to college, growing up here in Nashville, I have a very big family. And I went to a church called Born Again Church. It's a family church. It's a pretty sizable church growing up. The pastor is my uncle and one of my former business partners, my cousin, Chip. We all grew up in the church. And those fundamental like roots of being mindful and considering community and everything that you do, those are the roots, being raised that way. It always comes back to the church. Man, there's this quote that everybody knows from Lauren Hill. She says, what a paradox to have God trapped in a box. Mm, you remember that? Yes, you remember that? I do. Those lyrics? Yeah. And I've been thinking about that so much, about how our ancestors, they weaved these traditions, these understandings, these principles. Values. Of values of community, yeah. and they weaved it into our church experience. And they may not have been able to always share those those things so much outwardly but we could hide them inside of the church and I think that we're in this era where we've always been drawing from that well but now we're coming to the place to realize oh man these secrets these gems have been laid before us for they've been hiding their waiting and that's a really good way to, to articulate the value of our community the black community I think what has happened we've taken for granted those gems those lessons that the grandma the grandpa taught us we 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 don't see the real reason behind it sometimes because it's not always a direct articulation of and this is why you need to do this it's like no you come over here you do this but why do i have to like one thing we have we have to do at our church once a month or every other week we sing the the children's church the children's choir i'm sorry the children's choir sang at a retirement home and I remember eight, nine years old in the choir singing at a retirement home. It's like, why do we have to be in this place? Da, 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 da. But it was this connectivity mm. with community. Mm. And it was a value that was being taught every month. Go and do your thing, contribute, contribute. Mm. And as an adult, I see the necessity of connecting youth with the elderly and just being present and having them in their space to just talk because they'd always ask us questions they'd always ask us about school and they would do I felt at the time forced conversations Mm -hmm. but it was a gift to those people Mm -hmm. and so that's just an example of kind of like a value Mm -hmm. that was passed down and they still do it at that church now wow and just imagine it's a value to you because when you're a kid you don't see how the seeds turn into flowers you know you don't understand the whole process yet you just out there playing seeds your mama told you to Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. you know but but those those things they breed certain things man shout out to the elders and to the ancestors man it sort of remind me actually of uh, 
one of the one of the shows I recently went to you. You brought PJ Morton here. I know that y'all have been working together for a long time, and they had a DJ open up. DJ. And the DJ was just playing the ancestors. Pick. Not the just the ancestors, but like the elders. Like she was playing Kurt Franklin. She's playing like things that I listened to as a child. She's playing church music. She's playing SWV. Tell me, like, how does music in general? How can that be a bridge for us to connect to our cultural traditions, like the spiritual aspect behind the music? Yeah, you know, PJ Morton does an excellent job of that marriage, and PJ Morton honestly is one of the really good examples of kind of what the essence of Love Noise behind the scenes was about, because it's this connectivity of spirituality, of black music and culture, and future thinking. You know, because the way he built his business and his his thing was definitely ahead of the curve as far as independence and the way he supported and invested in himself. Same thing with Love Noise. A little bit ahead of the curve, what we were doing 20 years ago in, in the city of Nashville. You know, whenever we used to do weekly events, like in the old days of Love Noise, <clears throat> at the time in Nashville, again, this is 20 years ago, in most public places, restaurants, clubs, the city had a dress code couldn't wear white tees you couldn't wear certain types of sneakers couldn't wear athletic jerseys and you know that was the uniform for a lot of the black black community so you're editing this stuff out even some black establishments had these dress codes because they didn't want a certain element quote unquote in their space one of the things people used to always tell us Eric man how do y'all get away with not having a dress code but it's still a cool vibe I said, because the music that we play cultivates what we want in it. And it's this self-editing that happened that we witnessed. So when you came into the Love Noise space, we used to have incense at the door. We used to have, you know, it was a, it was a vibe. It was a whole vibe. So if you came in a certain kind of way, you wouldn't stay that way because you would see it's like, oh, this is what it's about. And we didn't have to tell you, don't come in with this, don't come in that, because there's plenty of people in there with white tees and jerseys. But a lot of times those people maybe wouldn't wear white tee every week or jersey every week because of what we cultivated. It wasn't playing certain kinds of hip hop. It was on other types of hip hop. And that type of hip hop or that type of music that we played and focused on was it, it, it communicated a certain vibe, you know? Does it make sense? I, it totally makes yeah. sense. And you're making me think about space making in general, the art yes. and craft of space making. Sometimes I have the honor of being able to guide people in meditation. And people ask, well, so what are we going to meditate on? It's like, we, we ain't going to meditate on nothing. We just going to create space. We're just, and my, as a guide, my hope is just, I'm not here to teach you nothing. I'm not here to make you change you. It's actually to just, create a space for you and i think that you have the opportunity to do that same thing you're creating space and the container that we create it makes room for the vibe that we want i want to talk about space making and the spiritual passage or right or responsibility of of what it takes to be a space maker and what that is the word responsibility is one that definitely can key on key in on there at the time we didn't put it in the same framework that you just did but that that was beautiful as far as making space for you to do your thing love noise our tagline in the very beginning was 
love noise where expression is the only thing. Mm. Mm. And so, what, and, and what we, the way we articulated that tagline was that the only thing that's important is not ego, it's not fashion, it's not all stuff, it's black expression. Mm. This is a platform for you. And so the things that we tried to make sure we did as producers of that space have a safe space. Because at that time, 20 years ago in Nashville, a lot of clubs and things like that, and it's unfortunately still a thing today, just in the greater community, just gun violence. And that was something that was important to us to highlight, that we are creating a safe space. Second, quality music. And not just the songs that we selected, the speakers were right. You know, it didn't sound like trash, you know what I mean? And we did a live performance, the lighting and everything was done, produced properly. And those are some of the things and the values that we wrote on. And that was something that we did. And then three, it being black. And that may seem like not as important, but it was very important again at that time because the reason we created that safe quality space for black culture was because we were not allowed and again that word is is kind of harsh but literally i would go to places hey we want to put pj more in here oh we don't do black music i heard the story you started i think maybe it was the first time you're about to get a venue Mm -hmm. the very beginning of love noise again speaking of space the very first love noise event we had at the time, hotel ballrooms were a place that people produced events, especially uh, black events. We had a hotel ballroom reserved for this Labor Day event. It was, I'm not gonna say the name of the hotel, but it was near Vanderbilt. And when the head manager realized that it was a black event, basically they said, you can't do it here. Just so happened one of our business partners at the time was friends with the brand new venue, BB King's, the manager at bb kings and he said you're welcome to have your event here we have a basement and we don't have anything in it we would love to have you here it was their opening weekend at bb kings on second avenue and we opened the doors that labor day weekend we had one week to change all the addresses and all this and this is this is before instagram and facebook and all that we literally had to put address label stickers on the flyers to change the address and we were nervous because like, man, we already did all this promotion. Everybody thought, thought it was going to be over here at the hotel. Us, and everybody was just positive. Like, well, we're just going to open the doors and see what happens. We opened the doors. The capacity of that place was like 400 people, something like that. Five, 600 people showed up. Wow. And it's like, wow. And it was black culture on, on, on. Great, so, great this is This is really <laughs> incredible. What a beautiful opening day story. You know, and the adversity, the hurdle that you had to overcome in order to get there, it just speaks volumes to why it's important that Love Noise exists. There is this fragility around Black culture, not Black music, not Black art, but Black culture. The actual humanity of Blackness is always placed behind a rope in some ways, but you were able to find your way around that rope. Yeah. And one thing that that another of the values from a business standpoint that we made sure we stayed focused on was sustainability. We did, From that event, we don't want to just do this one time. What can we do to sustain ourselves to make this, give us ourselves the opportunity to do this again and again and again? 
And, you know, it's, it's kind of like jazz. We figured it out. This worked, that didn't work, and putting pieces together. And over time, we created a formula that did work that was sustainable for a long time. And then it also allowed us to grow into the way we exist now, doing larger concerts and putting on local artists in front of those bigger names. My manager artist, Tim Jen, he opened for Nas at Ascend Amphitheater. Those types of opportunities. Still love doing that. So th- there's this sort of interconnectedness of creating space is that energy begets more of that energy. This is really lovely conversation. I want to go deeper on the challenge in terms of what has been the most challenging aspect of holding space here in Nashville. And I'm asking this question in hopes that other people, future space makers out there who might be experiencing the same thing, that you could inspire them to know how they're going to make it over. Yeah, it's more of a long term answer. And the biggest challenge was one of our goals, sustainability. When I when I mentor young promoters, concert promoters or event producers, I tell them it's not about producing one great event. It's about producing 151 of them fail and you go do 101. That, that, that's the real test because so many things, especially in concert promotions, it's, it's out of your control. So you have to be fortified and have the understanding of the industry, but also of yourself so that you can come back because you're just working out of ego and just, well, that didn't do well. I'm never doing that again. You're not going to be in this business very long. If you could predict on point how many people come to an event and support an event every time, you'd be a millionaire. No one can do that. You just have to go in with the right intentions build it and be consistent I've seen other promoters or other producers they'll do whatever it takes to get bodies in the door and then when that flavor of the month changes they go and do that thing and that's sustainable too if that's just your goal but most of those people aren't in the business anymore because it has a lot of holes in that model as well because if money is just your focus the culture can support it. it doesn't mean you can't make money in the culture but it, it means more to the people when that's not your only focus, when it's actually providing a platform for creatives, when it's actually expanding the understanding of black culture. Because that's another thing that, that we kind of rolled into, and we learned this along the way. Love Noise, for a large part, also introduced black culture to a lot of white Nashville because they're comfortable coming to our spaces because there were all those things, safe, quality, and all these other things. So they're there. And I think that's important as well. You know, that that's important as well. The inclusivity. Yeah, the inclusivity. One entity asked me one time, it was a bigger venue that we were partnering with to bring in some shows. And they said, well, at your shows, do only black people come to your shows? I said, no, but we market our shows for people that like black music. And that's everybody so it's not about necessarily just talking to black people it's about talking to people who enjoy this art you know what i mean and everyone should be able to consume it and i think it's important for people of color to produce those things for ourselves and if somebody else wants to enjoy it that's good too but does, does it make sense? Yeah, Because you, you can look at it a lot of different ways. Yep. And it's for everybody, but yep. this is what it is. I mean, you sitting here in Nashville, I might start to pick a bone for a second because we're sitting in Nashville where Little Richard roamed the streets 
and invented rock and roll music on Jefferson Street, mm-hmm. where the Jubilee, the Fisk Jubilee singers started the black recording industry. The first recorded black song ever was from the Jubilee Singers. Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix getting his break with Little Richard mm-hmm. in these streets. Yeah. And it's peculiar to me that Nashville, not only with music, but actually with the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. we see that Nashville was a central hub to the movement. Never knew that till I moved to Nashville. But there is this sort of lack of representation of these stories in the art we find in the public square. Some of our ancestors were the ones that were creating black music, not for black people, but for everybody. That the whole world, rock, blues, jazz, it all. I'd say this all the time. The students at Fisk University Mm -hmm. that did the Mm sit-ins, right? And, And other powerful people that would come to Nashville as again it was a hub for organizing a lot of the civil rights movement they didn't change Nashville or the south they changed the entire world Mm. because America Mm. changed because of their energy and Mm -hmm. efforts and sacrifices and when America changed that spread off to other places on the planet and I, I agree with you not enough credit or focus is put on the importance of that. And then with the black music part, you know, I loved your intro. You said, I love noise bringing black music back to Nashville. That's right. And that is an accurate, I've never heard it articulated that way, but that's an accurate statement because it has always been here. Very, it was that, that, those times that you're articulating with Jimi Hendrix and Little Richard, that's pre Music Row. Mm. That's before Music Row existed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, no credit given and no real notice about it. Mm. Fisk University. <clears throat> Martin Luther King spoke at Fisk Gym more than any other physical place on this planet. Really? Yes, he gave more speeches in that gym than anywhere else. Again, a lot of people don't know that because it was an important space. It was an important institution and the work that those kids were doing and other people in the community were doing was very important. Yeah, and we don't know. Wow. Yeah, we don't know. That's really powerful. How incredible is that right here in Nashville? Yep. The beauty of of music for, for me and culture is that you can communicate so much and you can bring so many different viewpoints together all in one room and, and have a good time and also push forward good messages and good energy. And that's what I love doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of on that same note, man, so Fisk University won a Grammy a couple years yes. ago. awesome. TSU just yes. won a Grammy this year. Some of my friends actually, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Larry, Larry excuse yeah. me, Professor, Professor Jenkins, Jenkins, yeah, Professor Jenkins, Professor yeah. Jenkins, yeah. Sir the Baptist. Yeah. You know, they all came together. How, how do you feel? What do you feel about this attention that's coming to this part of the woods? Not only that, Nashville as a whole is like this sort of expanding all throughout the world. People are now talking about Nashville like this is America's next big city. How do you feel about this change and how you feel about this recognition of our community, of our music community here in Nashville? I'm one of those people always internally and I always envision the future as better. And I feel that it's our obligation to do whatever it is we can do to make it better. I applaud 
all of the awards and all of the focus, and I'm here for all of it. One of the things, like with the Fist Jubilee Singers with that Grammy, it was such a community effort. Me and my business partner, Bryce Page, we volunteered every year for, for the Fist Jubilee Spring Sing. It was a fundraising concert they did for the Fist Jubilee Sun Choir at the Ryman Auditorium every year. The recording that they won the Grammy on was from that live event. And that wasn't the first or second year. It was the fifth or sixth year that, that we were doing it. But Shannon Sanders and Dr. Kwame, who unfortunately just passed away, but Dr. Kwame, these were people in, in Love Noise. We were communic- We were committing our time to help produce these things, not looking for a Grammy. We, we were doing it because they needed the help and we had the tools to help them. And that is what's, what it's all about. So I foresee in Nashville's future more Grammys for Black music and Black culture. And I think it was 1,000% right for Fisk to get that one and then for TSU to get another one. And what I want to see in the next three to five years, some of these other young artists like a Mike Floss or a Brian Taylor, you know, bringing home a Grammy back to Nashville. Again, bringing Black music back to Nashville and the accolades as well. While we're on the topic? Yes. Okay. Nashville music, okay? Yes. Like, if you want to listen to music from this community, who are your favorite artists popping up from here? For, for me, you know, I'm a little biased because I do manage a couple artists, but, okay. but, but I'm also a fan of a lot of local artists. Brian Taylor, R&B. Mm-hmm. Excellent writer, excellent performer, excellent artist. There are a lot of songs that aren't in the public yet that you'll hear just phenomenal, like next level, Grammy level stuff. Tim Gent, rapper slash singer, very, very solid as well. But I'm a big fan and support Mike Floss, Chuck Indigo. I, I, I love their music. I listen to their music, you know, when I'm at home, I'm a fan. There are a few female singers and DJs I'm a fan of. Afro Sheen is a DJ that when I go to events and I see she's spinning, I always like wait. It's like, oh, because she hasn't been DJing that long. But every time I go to events, she's DJing. It's just kind of like you see the growth and knowing that that art form is being passed on and her owning her brand as well as she's doing it. I'm a big fan of that and I support that. But uh, Jemiah is an R&B singer that is really doing well. She just so released good. her second full album and it's amazing work. I, I advise anybody, if you see Jemiah set to perform live, pay the money and go see it. I produce a lot of shows. During the pandemic, I had a partnership with Acme Downtown on Broadway, and we did this event called The Change Up. And it was a streamed event. Of, because of COVID, we, we allowed maybe 30 or 40 people to sit in the audience, but it was a really cool experience streamed. But Jemiah's performance during that period was amazing. And it was streamed. It wasn't even like a full audience. And she's such an excellent performer and R&B singer. So, so those are a few that I'm big fans of Yeah. that like I listen to in my car. Like I, I tell people about like, hey, you should check this out. And I think you're going to see more of that as they work their ways through the industry and they start getting that the awards and the accolades to match the talent. And it's just going to be a normal thing. I'm um, speaking of 
certain cities, like music cities, like Philly was very much like that. You know, Philly was always a musical city, but when the Neo Soul thing hit, it was just like popcorn. You know what I mean? Jill Scott. Erica Badu actually was discovered in Philly, even though she lived, was from Houston. Eric Robertson, Bilal, Music Soul Child, and DJ Jazzy Jeff was behind a lot of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? From a, from a, from a, a producer standpoint. And what does Nashville need to create that sort of seamless energy that Philly was able to with that movement, that Philly was able with the Stax movement back then? The Stax yeah. was Philly, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That like no. New York was able to with the golden age of hip hop energy, so so deaf in Atlanta, death row and LA. What does Nashville need to create that sort of thing? Well, it's, it's gonna look and feel different from those eras because the music industry has changed so much. The way we can consume music, the platforms in which we engage with music has changed so much. So it won't look like those things, but it's coming. And the main thing, the art has always been here. The artists have always been here. The talent's always been here. The music business side has to mature still some more, but that's happening. The infrastructure on the business side needs to mature more, and it's happening. Again, music executives like Shannon Sanders and others are really putting energy to make sure that people are in the rooms that they need to be in and getting the job done, so. I love it. Um, by the way, you've curated a list of all these playlists in this section, the selector. I thought it was important to include something like this in the paper because the way that we consume music has completely changed, right? Like when I was a kid, like you listened on the radio or you bought the record later on, you bought the CD or the tape, like you had to have one of these things. But in the late 90s, early 2000s, all that sort of shifted. We started shifting to streaming platforms. Now I listen to who I want to always. I never have anybody DJ for me, right. except with these playlists that we find. That's like the new radio. In, yeah, in it's like the new mixtape. Like back in the day with mixtapes, I'm a little bit older than you, I think. So for me, high school, college, it was, yo, can you dub me that tape? Hey, can you copy that CD for me? Which one? The volume five, you know, mixtape so-and-so, right? And you would be introduced to new versions of songs, but also new artists. Biggie was on so many mixtapes before he came out. Like my freshman year at Howard, that was one of the big things. I knew who Biggie was because of all the mixtapes he was on. Verse here, verse there, and he had such a distinctive voice. And you don't discover music or artists in that way anymore but i would say probably playlist is kind of like the new mixtape or slash radio where you go to discover artists and consume new stuff so you see an interesting title playlist like rap caviar which is i love that name by the way rap caviar it's like okay so this is the you know the elite you know hip-hop this is the top of the you know creme de la creme of the hip-hop world right now let me listen to it and they're very consistent right and they have the top stuff on there and so when i listen to my nieces and nephews who are early 20s they a lot of times point to each other's playlist hey man why don't you listen to this playlist you know we take a girl on your date man do the trick you know da 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 right and <laughs> you know this is the type yeah. of thing that that you know they ex exchanging playlists so the idea with the selector uh tapping individuals in nashville that have good musical taste 
and articulating some of their favorite playlists when they're doing certain tasks, either building or cooking, working or chilling. And so the idea for the selector and I've had a good time tapping in some great community people. And some of these lists are going to surprise you some of the songs that they have. This whole paper has really been, everyone has been speaking the truth, and you've definitely done that about the music industry in Nashville. But we've also been talking about practice and what our personal practices are in order to keep us going. For me, two of the most important are what I call positive speak. I don't like speaking about anything in the negative. Well, it might not work. Well, obviously, if we knew it was going to work, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. if you knew it was going to work, you don't even have to say that. We know it might not work. So why do you have to articulate it? Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm, I'm one of those type of people. I really like to focus on the positive and not ignore the negative, but positively speak. What comes out of my mouth is the positive. Mm-hmm. Earlier, you know, and during the shoot, I, I think you asked me if I ever booked Solange. And I said, nope, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Versus, yeah, man, I wish I could. I never I haven't been able to. And I actually, I think I answered it that way and I corrected myself. I said, well, I haven't been able to yet. And I said, not yet. Not yet. And that, I believe, provides positive energy when there's not a lot around. And it also helps me just, I've done it so long as a practice, subconsciously redirect when I might be having self-doubt or something like that for whatever reason redirect my energy to look towards the positive like i told you before i look at the future as a positive place always because if you just live in fear or in the negative like all the things that could happen you can your car and get in a wreck that's always a possibility but why do you have to articulate that it's right? like it's like the things that we say is what we practice yeah you know this is a cultivation every word out of our mouth cultivates something we can cultivate what might not happen mm-hmm. and we can cultivate what might happen, you know. And what we desire to happen. Yeah. Speak it. Articulate it. Our society kind of looks down on that sometimes. Be positive. Mm. Right? Be positive. It's an action. Be it. Ooh. Right? Ooh, don't, don't just speak it. No, don't Be just speak it. it. Be Embody it. the positive. Ooh, and and speaking that. is the first it's the first step to action. Wow. Right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's so important. Speak it. I, I've, I've had times in my life where maybe I was around some negative people that would speak negativity into my life for different reasons. And I've had to, and this is the second part, self-affirmations, like looking myself in the mirror wow. and telling myself this or that. But I've real time in discussions or arguments say, I don't accept that for myself. Eric, you're so this. Like a heated yeah. argument or something. I don't accept that. You can you can take that. I don't accept that. And when you say that out of your mouth, it's one of the most powerful things. Because you might say, ah, bump that girl or bump that person. <laughs> right. They don't know what I'm they don't know me. But you you take a little bit a little bit of that in. We all do. We're human. Mm. But it's a powerful human thing to reject it real time out of your mouth. Mm. I reject. I don't accept that. I don't accept that for myself. Yeah, I don't accept that for myself. 
Wow. Or sometimes it's like, thank you for shining light on an imperfection that I, yeah. I didn't know I had. Man, Let me work on that. Man, I just, but, I just had, man, my, me and my lady just came back from this meditation retreat. One of the most beautiful blessings was I learned this question, but what else is there? I love it. But what else is there? I love it. You know? And so sometimes we sit, I sit in my... Like I was having trouble because I was my ADHD was getting me a little, you know, those thirty minute meditations <laughs> getting a little difficult. <laughs> my legs are jumping around, and I sat down with someone, and she said, "Yeah, but what else is there? Mm. You know, you're calm. Did you know how to be calm before? No. Mm. You're you're at ease. Did you know how to be at ease before? No. Okay. So there's beautiful things being cultivated. I don't look like the perfect yogi." You know, I'm not the person that can sit on the floor and let's sit in my first perfect Buddha pose. Mm. But you're here. You're here. You're you're moving forward and you're finding self-acceptance and love for yourself. And I hear that same thing to speak to things that are beautiful and that we want to cultivate. Right. I don't want to I don't want to cultivate weeds. So right. why am I going to talk about weeds all day? Right. I want to cultivate flowers and fruits in my garden. Once I want to have things that my kids can eat on. Why would I cultivate the poison? Yeah. And, and that doesn't mean that you ignore the things you got to work on the self work. It doesn't mean to ignore that. But what it means on the regular, what are you focusing on? And there's time to focus on the negative as far as self-work and all those types of things or reaching out to loved ones to get insight Mm -hmm. upon yourself. Because, again, we're human and we don't have 360 degrees on ourselves. Nobody Mm -hmm. does. Right. But those loved ones can have insight and those things might be negative or challenging. But but that's a separate practice separate type of thing and sometimes when people hear the positive speaking well you, you, you can't ignore the negatives that nobody's no that's not what i'm saying i'm saying what i spend the majority of my time is speaking into my life is the positive and some of the times that positive is let me work harder today on eric mm. <laughs> harder than yesterday mm. you know what i mean mm. still a positive statement mm. not that man i still can't Get those hundred crunches in or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Today let me do one more than yesterday. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And and that and that practice and I think that that type of thing is valuable to the community too. Because the more we do that with ourselves, we do it with others and we can speak into somebody else's life. Right? Yes. Yes. The compassion that we show ourselves is it it gives us the capacity to show compassion towards the others around us. Man. There you Bless go. God. Yeah. I, you know, on that note, let's take a sip of this water. Oh, there you go. Eric. This podcast was made possible joining us by at, in the Museum of Presence. It was so good to have you, to talk to you. And and I can't wait to get into this music. Hey man. Love being here and appreciate the work you're putting in. Love this conversation with Eric Holt, such a hero for black culture in Nashville. I've listened to these playlists from The Selector, and there are a little something for everybody. It's really lovely. There's even a collection of podcasts that I put together myself that I consider my quintessential self-care podcast listen to while you're getting your nails done while you're spending some alone self-care time remember this 
session of the Museum of Presence is made possible by a small grant by Metro Arts Nashville and Studio Bank brought to you by people just like you. So I thank you for your support. Also, when I'm not making newspapers and podcasts like this, I am cultivating a community called True Voice. You can find us in the App Store. We get together and have these kinds of conversations and try to be with one another on our journey of wellness. Shout out to my crew, starting with Tanya Lewis, Evan Brown, Camila Sander, and I am Shabazz Larkin. You are now entering the Museum of Presence.